2 Kings chapter 2, the message is entitled Inseparable, and I hope it's not just a Bible study. Always hoping that God has something to say to us, ergo, message. Paul, when he was on death row, at least he thought he was, he probably was released from the imprisonment of 2 Timothy, and then rearrested a few years later, and then executed. But at the time that he wrote 2 Timothy, he was sure he was going to die. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, he said, and the time of my departure is at hand. And he writes in that section, only Luke is with me. It almost makes you just tear up a little bit. He's on death row, and he was talking about how there were those that just weren't sticking with him. But he and Luke were inseparable. Now, in the book of Acts, we all come across a change in the pronouns. As Luke writes, he says, we went, they went, because Luke is uh, departing from time to time as Paul treks through Europe and, and Asia Minor. Luke is likely researching his books. Only Luke is with me. He couldn't get the two apart. In Christianity, it is your responsibility to know who you are in Christ, your identity. Okay, this is who I am in Christ. You're supposed to think about things like this. To know where you belong in Christ. Well, you really can't get to that one until you identify who you are, then where you belong. And then to be inseparable from that station where God puts you or relocates, as the case might be. We're going to get some of that in this chapter. With God's help, we'll get through it because it's very exciting. Verse 1, And it came to pass when Yahweh was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Well, this is a true story. God is going to take the prophet Elijah off the earth miraculously in this whirlwind of fire. The prophet knows this. He's been telling people that God is going to take him home, up to heaven. Now, heaven there is the air, the sky, the atmosphere, the spiritual realm. He's taking him out of this life. And as I said, this is a true story. And I don't need to have these events repeated before my eyes to believe them. I have enough information from the Bible that closes the deal of faith. And when I go through life and all the Bible study that I have is not working out things in my favor the way I want them to work out, I still notice God carries me. He bears me up on eagle's wings. That means I get to soar. I get to fly high above the things that would drag me down, and I can only do that by faith. I cannot do that without faith. This way I don't become the hypocrite. I become the man that just endures and perseveres by faith. My relationship with Christ is intact, even though I may not... I mean, I may dread, I may despise what I'm going through. It says Christ despised the cross. The shame of it. Elisha has been Elijah's servant and apprentice for about 10 years. The way we get some of these numbers, the calculations come from 
the dates of the kings, how long a king was in office. And we just do, do little things like that. We can get a ballpark on some things. Other things were said right out. But for about 10 years, he has been a faithful servant to Elijah, who is, of course, going to heaven. Not many people get to go out this way. In fact, he tops Enoch. Uh, Enoch was walked with God, and he was no more, for God took him. He's probably, you know, preaching the gospel, well, the Old Testament gospel, and then he goes into his tent, and nobody saw him again. They go, and they, you saw him walk in that tent. I saw him. Where is he now? He didn't slip underneath. He, God took him. Well, this one, of course, has a witness, but it's time for this courageous man to go home, and another courageous man continue the work. And the work is to drive Baalism out of the northern kingdom. In fact, with the death of uh, Ahab and soon Jezebel, the, the worship of the Sidonians will reduce somewhat. But anyway, it says here, Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, this is not the Gilgal that we are familiar with from the, the days of Joshua when he first crossed into the promised land and rolled the shame away from the Jews. We're no longer wandering the wilderness. God has brought us into the land as promised. And he named the place Gilgal for the shame has rolled away. Well, this isn't the same one. This Gilgal is deeper into the promised land close to Bethel, and follows this trek, and that's why in the next verse he's going to say we went down to Bethel. Geographically, that's accurate. If it were the Joshua's Gilgal, then it would have, we went over. It's more to uh, the east. In verse 2, Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for Yahweh has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As Yahweh lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you, so... They went down to Bethel. Well, there, there's the beginning of this inseparable service that the old prophet is benefiting from. I say that old, but we don't know exactly how old Elijah was, but it, it's easier to say it that way. It, it sounds better, uh, forming a picture in your head. He certainly isn't in his teens. But anyway, uh, Elijah was comes off as a private man. And... Being a private man, he likely wanted to depart in private. He told, God's going to come take me today, and he's thinking, I'm going to go. But three times, he'll tell his servant, Elisha, that you can go now. He's giving him a way out of serving, a way out of ministry. You don't have to be here for this. I think Elijah knew that Elisha loved him. And, and vice versa. There's a mutual love going on here between the two men. Uh, true agape, as with Paul and Luke, and Paul and, and Titus, uh, and Timothy, of course. Uh, I'll come back to Titus, hopefully, in a little bit. So he offers him uh, a choice to stay with him or go, and really emphasizing leaving him. Go, you, know, you can go. So he does this from Gilgal to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, from Jericho across Jordan. Three times he's going to say, you know, you can go. Now, Bethel, of course, big place in the eyes of the Jews. Abraham pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to Yahweh and called on the name of Yahweh. And Jacob, of course, that's where he gets this vision of the ladder, Jacob's ladder. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name 
of that city had been Lud's previously. And of course, when Abraham, uh, it was a, uh, Luz and between Luz and Ai, but when it's written down and published in scripture, the Jews give it its common name, Bethel, because Jacob is the one that named it Bethel, and he came after Abraham. And uh, as I mentioned, he sees the vision. He erects a pillar at Bethel to mark the spot where he had the vision. Even though he had so much growing to do, Jacob, he still had spirit enough to understand how surely God is in this place and I knew it not. How holy is, how sacred is this place? I mean, he was just blown away by that experience. And later he comes back and he builds an altar and, and settles in Bethel and worships the Lord. So after Abraham and Jacob give this attention to God at Bethel about a thousand years later, Jeroboam comes and corrupts the whole thing with his fake gods. That's why his sin is so outstanding. It becomes a center of idol worship in the north. A perpetual evil. We'll get that at the end of the chapter. But Elisha said, it says here in verse 2, as Yahweh lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So three invitations to, or opportunities to leave and three uh, times he declines. What if he said, okay, see ya? <laughs> well, he would not have been the Elijah that God called him to be. He would have missed out on the chariot of fire and its horses. But he knew where he belonged. He knew where he needed to be. And he wasn't going to let anything take him away from that. He was called to be the servant of Elijah. He was called to be by his side. God put him there. And nobody was going to take him away. And it wasn't a hostile kind of a thing. Uh, whereas, no, I'm staying. You can't make me. It wasn't anything like that. It was like, listen, you don't have to go with me through this. Uh, I'm going with you wherever you go. So he went down to Bethel together. Yeah, what a picture. They're inseparable. Genesis 2, verse 18. And Yahweh, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Well, this applies to ministry as well as it does to marriage. If you can't have a spouse in life, get a companion. And companionship is it's understated and underrated until you don't have it. It is a big thing. If you have a good friend, be thankful to God for them. To show your appreciation, buy me gifts. Verse 3. <laughs> Things don't work that way, but they should. Uh, verse verse 3. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that Yahweh will take away your master from over you today? He said, Yes, I know. Shut up. He says, keep silent. He's saying, shut up. And that's an important part, because now we understand what's going on. If he had said, oh, thank you very much, I know that, then it would have been a whole d different thing. But no, he says, well, I want to hear it. <laughs> so, uh, countering. Here, here in Bethel, where this authority of evil is, God has allowed a school of the prophets, a brotherhood of the righteous, to be established to counter the evil. About 90 years earlier, when Jeroboam set up that altar here, and in Bathsheba to the south, 
God sent his messenger, a man of God, condemned the altar and, uh, you know, was killed by a lion because he disobeyed the latter part of his order. These brotherhood uh, schools of the prophets, they're mentioned in 1 Kings and several times in 2 Kings. goes back to the days of Samuel and Rama. This effort to establish righteous men in the land. Well, God had ordained the priests and the Levites and the prophets. And so this was not out of bounds, but they never really become uh, key players in the scripture. Micaiah, well, not Micaiah, not Micaiah, one of the ones earlier, the one that says, strike me to show the king that he had um, been negligent in his duty. Uh, He was from the school of the prophets, but we don't really get a lot from them as we would expect. And on that one, I'll come back to also. But the question that I uh, come up with is when that man of God went up to Bethel to condemn the altar, the old prophet of Bethel, who should have been sent but was not, it was bypassed, he lied to the prophet, got him to come home, And then he tells him, you're going to die for not obeying. That happens. And then he has this remorse. Does that old prophet have enough remorse to revive in him a sense of, I've got to counter the evil here. Look what's happened to me. And therefore, the school of the prophets was born out of that in Bethel. Well, that might be. Certainly is a possibility. And it's um, something that you just cannot dismiss. And that's why I'm talking about it. It says he came... Uh, here in verse 3, now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you not know uh, Yahweh will take away your master from over you today? These boys are a nuisance. Apparent know-it-alls. Oh, how, who, raise a show of hands. Who likes know-it-alls? <laughs> you get a kid and your child as it comes a know-it-all. You work a little scramble like, look, I don't want you to be one of those. If you know, if you're smarter than your friends, act dumb. Kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but don't be a know-it-all. Uh, not that I've had that experience. My kids did not give me the opportunity. <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. Uh, unless you're my kid. That's like, that ain't funny, Dad. Anyhow, coming back to this. Uh, so they wanted to know something that the prophet didn't know. It's like the guy that's got to challenge the teacher to show that he's smarter. You know, the, the gunslinger that... Uh, Unfortunately, I don't know, as I've gotten older, I've had not had to deal with these types so much. You know, that pepper spray helps. But in the earlier years, you'd get these folks, you know. Well, the Bible says, and like, you know, it'd be hard for them to read the Bible with your fingers poking in their eyes. But anyhow, uh, back to Christianity. Uh, to them, <laughs> it was more important that they show off, we know this is his last day. Did you know it? Then the grief that Elisha was, was experiencing. He's grieving. He's not liking any of this. He's going with him. That's his duty. But he's, we'll know that by his outburst when the prophet finally is taken up to heaven. He loved Elijah. So he says, yes, I know. Keep silent. This outstanding comeback. This is the reply to show off. Yeah, I know it. Roll the eyes. Don't forget that. Roll the eyes is critical to getting them to not do it again. Of course he knew. He's the one that pours the water on Elijah's hands. He's always with him. What do you think? He bypassed me and told you because you're that special? No, that didn't happen. 
Their behavior is immature, it's insensitive, and it is amateurish. These were, they were, they were amateurs compared to Elijah. Uh, God bypassed the schools of the prophets and went to a man working out in the fields to, to succeed the great prophet. That is called discipleship, and it is supposed to thrive in Christianity. But I'm afraid in many places they, they put the kibosh on it, they, they, they throw a wet blanket on it, and that's the end of the discipleship. Now you have to get a formal education in certain circles. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, again, would, would say, which <laughs> think about, we caused the pastors to think about how many churches would never allow them in their pulpit, even though the churches that those men had were thriving with uh, just a simple word of God. What makes the church thrive is the appetite in the people. Verse 4, Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here please, for Yahweh has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As Yahweh lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So here's the second time. And clearly God is leading Elijah from place to place. Sort of, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, he has to be doing something that you would think maybe preaching or something and just uh, buttoning things up. And he says, God's called me to the next city. Why don't you stay here? Another opportunity. Um, You know, duty well done comes from character well formed. If you have no character, no high standard of character, then duty is going to be a problem for you because you're going to find ways out of it. Uh, rivers like men are crooked because they both go in the path of least resistance. But when you have character, you don't go so quickly in the path of least resistance. That's not what dictates your course. It's what needs to be done. In a sort of humorous way, it's sort of like the experienced plumber that doesn't mind sticking his hand where none of us would do it to unclog the clog. Uh, He does what has to be done. And the rest of us do too. We call the plumber. That's what has to be done. <laughs> Is there somebody dumb enough to do this? Anyway, and he's saying, yeah, chick-ching. But uh, anyway, these are fairly straight routes from Gilgal to Bethel, seven miles. The two walk together. From Bethel to Jericho, 12 miles. From Jericho to Jordan, 26 miles. Uh, these two men at least are together. And he says, I will not leave you. That's resolve. It reminds us of Ruth to Naomi. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth said. you got to love that. Naomi gives her an out. Look, your sister-in-law, in verse 15, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return, to your, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said. Man, that is resolve. Here it comes. Entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And of course, it just gets more beautiful as she just continues this speech. So powerful is Ruth's comeback. Somebody wrote it down. Naomi, I can say, Naomi, how did that go again? And Naomi saying to Ruth on the way back to Israel, writing that one. That, that gotta, we got to get that in Scripture. Anyway, of course, it wouldn't be Scripture if humans had a say-so in it. What makes scripture, scripture is God is the editor and author. Well, verse 5, 
Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that Yahweh will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silence. So it's like, where are these guys coming from? They're quickly texting each other. He's on his way to you now. Ask him. Ask him if he knows. <laughs> we did here, and he acted like he... Anyway, these, again, more amateurs, like those in Bethel, on Elisha's end, he's long-suffering with the repetitive questions. Didn't I just answer this? <laughs> Ask me again. It, it is a little difficult in conversation if the person just repeats themselves over and over. Uh, we try not to do that from the pulpit without noticing, saying, I know I'm, not re- I'm repeating myself for this reason. I know I'm repeating myself for this reason. I know... <laughs> okay, so he answered... <laughs> Yes, I know, keep silent. Old Testament brilliance. The New Testament, we we can't really hammer them like this. I I mean, Paul is just so patient with the Corinthians. Uh, Verse 6, Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, please. But pause for a minute. Paul was not always patient. When he says to them, I think if somebody smacks you upside your head, you'd be fine with that. But no, we come preaching love and kindness. You got a problem with us. I mean, he, he could he could turn it on when he had to. Uh, it's just you got to watch it. It gets. I bought a sports car years ago, and as the as this old old guy was polishing it, I was about to give me the keys. He says, "Be careful. This thing get away from you." And I should have said, "How do you know? Do you have one?" <laughs> anyway, uh, he was right. If you weren't careful with that car, man, it just take off. So. This is um, something to do with what I was talking about. Oh, you know, the comebacks, you know, the, the snarky comebacks, the people who deserve it. you got to just, Lord, if the Lord is restraining you, be restrained. And most of the time he does restrain us from saying what we would think would be well serving us. Anyway, verse 6, then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for Yahweh has sent me on to the Jordan but he said, as the Lord lives, as your servant lives, I will not leave. So the two went on. The third invitation, to abandon his station, to leave his calling. His calling was to follow Elijah. He promised that he would follow Elijah. First Kings 19, this is when Elisha goes and he throws his mantle, his, his, his uh, you know, not really a blanket, <laughs> like his cape, over him. And, and a symbol of anointing. And Elisha responds, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he meant it. And here we see him doing it to the end. They're inseparable. So the two of them went on. Again, the beautiful picture. Elisha knew where he belonged, and so did Elijah. Both of these men knew where they belonged. He would say, I've got, now God is sending me to Bethel. Now God is sending me to, to um, Jericho. And wherever you go, I'm going to be right there by your side. Man, to have people like that in your life. Verse 7. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. So these are spectators, these are the, the sons of the prophets, and probably others joining in too, you know, you know no, there's always somebody in the neighborhood that just, crowd draws a crowd. 
but back to this overly formalized Christianity. And, and sem- seminaries, I think, they have some things to offer. You can learn how to pronounce a lot of things in seminaries. Uh, but uh, incidentally, I, I just go with Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary for pronunciation. I just have to lock it down at some point because it, it alters and then you've got the difficulty of, you know, pr- the tongue just not able to pronounce certain words. I don't even try too hard anymore. Anyhow, um, there they are watching them, but formalized Christianity for appointing uh, church leaders, I think, is, is not as good as the New Testament example. The ideal is discipleship. Paul said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, it is doable. Uh, this is uh, the, the best way to go. Verse 8, then Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two men crossed over on dry ground. Well, they've got 50 spectators to this, even though from a distance they can see what's going on. This is impressive. This is impressive as Moses. Moses did the same thing, and the similarities between Elijah and Moses are profound. Because Moses gave the law, Elijah continues the law. There's no apology coming from God about the law given to Moses because it's upheld by Elijah and all the prophets. Exodus 14, God says to Moses, But lift your rod, stretch out your hand. Let me preface this. The people are being chased by Pharaoh and his army, his chariots. And Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God says, why are you crying out to me? Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And so this is a Moses-esque moment, verse 9. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Well, there's a lot here. One is, Elisha, the the, the older prophet, he's been processing how faithful Elisha is. So now walks until he gets, what can I do for you? Because he's been doing something for him. He's been blessing his heart. He's probably saying, nobody's given me this much love. At least they're not in ministry. And this is, you know, the fruit of loyalty. To have somebody to love you and to then recognize it in the work for God. Uh, it is something that you wish more artists could capture on canvas. So you can post these kind of things up for us to be reminded of. These things are for our edification to make us better at serving Christ. The love between these two men is profound. Now... I want to, let's see, when Paul grieves over Titus, and I don't want to rely on quoting it because it's better read. Um, Let's go to a commercial break. (laughs) and we come back, I'll have it. I try to mark these things ahead, but there's so much... It's too much. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Yes, here it is. So in verse 12, 
He's, he's telling the, the Corinthians how much he loves them, but, you know, he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. And then he, of course, goes on to, to develop his thought. But the part that stands out is, here's God is doing this great work in Troas through Paul, but he can't, I can't, I gotta find, I gotta find Titus. I don't know what's happened to him. Did muggers get to him? Is he well? Is he sick somewhere? And it's just a beautiful picture of the human side of God's servants and no rebuke from heaven. The work continued in Troas, it continued in Corinth, and uh, here we have these two men, uh, Elijah the prophet, it says, what can I do for you? And without hesitation, he's ready. It's, it's a remarkable look into Elijah's walk with God to be able to know that he can, he can make such an offer. Now, other verses I can quote, but we don't have time. Uh, so we'll just continue. It says, Elijah said, please let me have a double portion of your spirit. Now, there's no hesitation in that. But he is not saying, what he is not saying is that, well, I'm inferior to you. Therefore, I need twice as much as what you have. He is not saying, well, I would just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a man like you, but I would like to do twice as much as you did. He's not saying either one of those. Although both would be fine to, to if they happened, if God did do this. And I, I, don't, I don't share, a lot of the commentators try to show, well, Elijah did seven miracles and Elisha did 14. And there's the double portion. I, I disagree. I, when I was younger, I didn't. I said, boy, that's, that's nice. And then I started digging. Oh, wait a minute, Elijah did more than seven uh, again, so anyhow, uh, back to this. Then what is he doing? Because he wants to maintain that high standard. And I think most of us have said, well, we, I want a double portion of the blessing, Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not shooting that part down. But what is going on here is this is a request for his spiritual inheritance. And that comes out in the story clear, too. Not the, the elder son's share was a double portion. Deuteronomy 21, verse 17. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength. The right hand of the firstborn is his. Uh, the, pardon me. The right of the firstborn is his. Of the sons of the prophets. Was not Elisha the eldest? He is the one that served Elijah directly, appointed by God. Absolutely. Was not the prophet called the father? Yes, he was. Because when he departs, up into heaven, he calls out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. He wants what's entitled to the eldest son, a double portion. Now we go back because he knows he's, he needs to have a double portion of the inheritance if he's going to continue that standard. Because he wants to do twice as much as the work for the kingdom if Elisha can give that to him. And so it all ends up right where we started. But the first, the, 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 the source of it, the, the, where he started with this was not something. Now, if he were a prosperity teacher, I want a double portion so I could buy Two Rolls Royce cars and a Maserati. And that would be the prosperity teacher. And that, again, is uh, condemn that teaching. 
because the Bible does. I mean, what do you do with the verses that condemn greed in the New Testament and still go out and say, God wants you rich? Uh, just put money in the offering box for me. That's what it is. And they go, okay. Well, anyway, coming back to this, he wants a spiritual inheritance. Um, verse 10. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, you it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to love. Elijah knows his limitations. It's not, I can't just give you this, but I, you know, I can, but God, I can tell God is going to, these are the terms. He's so in touch with God. See, if you see me taken up, then your, your prayer will be granted to you. And if you don't see me taken up, <laughs> tough. you're going to have to go at it a different way, lad. Um, as with Moses, the spirit of Elijah is going to prove to be transferable. Transferable. Not the spirit, his spirit as a person, but is, is in ministry. That spirit of ministry. Well, John the Baptist has the spirit of Elijah. And uh, so will the, uh, the prophets in the Great Tribulation, period. Or time. Uh, but here is Elijah. He's going to, it is going to transfer to Elijah. He's going to have that power. As Moses, the commander of Israel, transferred his power to Joshua. And to others. It was others that uh, uh, God allowed Moses to give them uh, some of his authority and, and the spirit upon the other leaders in Israel. First Kings chapter 19, verse 16. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Well, that's what God said when Elijah was hiding out on, uh, in, on the mountain in, in Horeb. The man who follows is the man fit to receive. What a profound lesson from just watching these two characters. And all the other characters are silhouettes or, or just in the shadows. You know, you know you're know, you going to leave today. And it just that's not what we're focused on. Unless, unless you've got that problem, then that becomes center stage to fix. But we're looking at these two men and we're saying, what makes this work? Why was God so uh, happy with these men? And the proof is that he kept, the way he used them. Verse 11 then it happened as they continued on and talked. Look at that. Pause there. They weren't just walking in silence. They talked. I mean, it's just this fellowship. That suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. Well, they were separated this way temporarily. Uh, they are together again because they are inseparable. Death cannot conquer God's people. These flames that come along to take him out of this life, they characterize his ministry. I mean, he's just a fireball, even when he was doing good. I mean, even when he raised the boy, the widow's uh, child. I mean, it's just this, you know, he pours out his heart to God. How could you let this happen? He's just passionate prophet. Uh, but just like that. In a blaze, he's gone to heaven. This really is the way we all go out. Maybe not with the visible flames, but just like that, gone. Even if we struggle to get there. Moses, 
He represents the believers in the scripture that have died and are raised from the dead. Because God took Moses and buried him where nobody could find the body. And yet we see Moses on Mount Transfiguration with Jesus. Elijah represents the believers who will be raptured to meet the Lord in the air, departing without dying. The rapture is, um, you know, something that I think we've got to be careful about wanting too much. You can get depressed. <laughs> it's not here today. I can't take another day. Yes, you can. You've got orders. Just carry out your duty. Uh, only Enoch and Elijah departed into heaven without dying. Even the Lord Jesus allowed himself to die on the cross as we would count death. Verse 12, and Elisha saw it. <laughs> he said, got my wish. Uh, uh, Elijah saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. He devastated. He, he had to have gone back and said, I just cried out, my father, my father, the chariot. And someone said, I'm writing that down. This is profound, the way he said it. He grieved over the loss of Elijah going to heaven. I know, you know, we, we celebrate when the righteous go, but there's still this loss. There's still grief. Death is always wrong. You kill a mosquito, death is wrong. Nothing should die in an ideal world. In heaven, things won't die. But here, there's this curse that we have to navigate, hack our way through like a jungle. But God will let us, we, we soar in the midst of all of this. And that's, that's when Satan is just, he can't take us down. And even though in, in the inside, our hearts can be breaking, we're still serving. And Elijah, he's going to still serve. He saw and he knew that the strength of the nation was not the military, it was the prophet, it was the man of God. Because humans will not do the right thing. Things are the way they are. And God counteracts that by sending people who are in touch with him. Here's the beautiful part of the story. So good is this man at serving that these words will be applied to him when he dies. They will be applied to him by a wicked king nonetheless. 2 Kings 13 verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. I think he's sincere. I mean, he had this, this epiphany for a, a moment of just how profound the life of this man was. Elisha could have been out of it. You know, many times we don't get to say goodbye. He's just, you know, just out of it. Uh, who knows? We're not told, but we do know this, that he had such an impact on others because of the discipleship of Elijah that he's doing the same thing. That is better than going and sitting in a classroom and learning something that can only be taught through companionship, through discipleship, through serving next to, through watching and observing and Joshua, he beat the Amalekites when Moses' hands were up. It wasn't so much the military force, it was the spiritual force that was at work. Psalm 33, verse 16, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength as, as the righteous go. 
the Lord is the one, but he he has to have his his vessels there, vessels of honor. Verse 13. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Okay, so he knows he's got the promise. Now, this mantle, this cloak, uh, it doesn't drop because Elijah was clumsy on the way up. I mean, I mean like, oh, and a sandal too. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it, it, it is on purpose. It's deliberate. He left. This is the mantle, more than likely, that he cast over Elijah when he was working with the oxen. Hebrews 17, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. We're seeing that in action in these two men. Verse 14, I mean, this is the crime of the church departing from the word of God. Where else are you going to learn this stuff? I mean, you know, you can go to a, you know, a pep talk from a coach or a motivational speaker, but there's no authority behind that. There's no anointing. This is, there's anointing. This comes from God's throne. Verse 14, then he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen and struck the water and said, where is Yahweh God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So the spirit is has the spirit of ministry transferred over to him. This is an interesting thing. I have said this to God in moments of just complete dissatisfaction. Where's the God of Elijah? I can't believe. Why don't you do something? Um, that kind of a spirit, rather than um, Elijah here calling on the Lord saying, the God of Elijah is my God. And he has promised this, and Lord, where are you? And he strikes the waters, and they part. No longer is he the prophet's apprentice. He is now the journeyman prophet. And uh, again, as the succession of, of Joshua from, uh, from Moses, and, and this ministry parallels Joshua, Joshua parted the Jordan also. Moses parted the Red Sea. And so there's, there's precedence for all of this. So it goes through a few parallels between Moses and Elijah. Both parted bodies of water, the Red Sea and again the Jordan, as I mentioned. Both called down fire from heaven. In fact, Moses did it like three times, so at least he was part of it. You know, when Dathan rebelled, fire came from heaven and, and consumed them. He did it before Pharaoh. Both men saw the Lord provide food. Moses with the manna and the quail. And of course, Elijah, twice also with the ravens and the widow of Zarephath when he, um, uh, the, the flour and the oil. In the land of Egypt, Moses prayed and God altered the weather. Well, with Elijah... He called for a drought, and for three and a half years, it was a drought. And then he, he canceled out the drought later. Moses gave the law to the people of Israel. Elijah called them to repent and return to the true and living God. They're in Mount Carmel. How long halt you between two opinions? If Yahweh is your God, serve him. Both men made journeys into the wilderness. Both men stood before God on the mountain. Both men had unique endings to their life. 
God buried Moses in a grave nobody can find, and God carried Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind. And so both Moses and Elijah were present with Jesus on Mount Carmel. So what we see is a systematic God, a God that has a system in place, and he's following it. And there's a message in the system, and it's up to us to, to figure it out and apply it. And it can have multiple forms of application. In verse 15, now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. <laughs> I don't know when he saw them coming out. What was he thinking? Oh, great. <laughs> no, he probably, probably was not. He's probably processing his grief. Uh, well, here, this is the deference. You know, they're, they're, they're showing that their allegiance is to him. He is now the father in the faith. He is the leader. They saw the mantle. They saw the, the, you know, the two go out, the one come back. They were submitted, but they still had, they still had problems, these guys. And um, I, I don't plan to see their, go to their neighborhood when we get to heaven. I'm telling you right out. <laughs> Just kidding. Verse 16. Then they said to him, Look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of Yahweh has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you should not send anyone. Strong men, but not wise men. Uh, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain. What do you, who do you think God is? <laughs> you think he just like flung his body? He's like, I don't need this anymore. Uh, this is their perception of God's character. That school is defective. <laughs> so he said, you shall not send anyone. So there's this gap that exists. Now, you know, there's a gap. There's a generation gap where you've lived decades. You've learned things. But the generations that have not approached these things yet, they, they, they don't want to hear it. Then they learn it. And then they got the gap when they try to tell the next generation. So when you come across youth that submit to their teachers, uh, then you get a youth that is more productive in life, especially for the kingdom. Body and spirit, I surrendered whole to hearts instructors and received a soul. The world has such a saying. And there's merit to that saying. Uh, but uh, these, these guys, they're just, every time they open their mouth, you wish they didn't. And so anyway, verse <laughs> Verse, so that gap, so let me pause there. You know, again, you, you, they're just, they're, they're Christians in the church that are new to the faith, and they, they know so little, and they come for counseling, and it's very difficult to tell them something without them copying an attitude and saying, he just doesn't want me to get the job <laughs> or something. I don't who knows what. So you have to try to learn to, to, to package it gently. Um, I just learned it last week. How to, all these years I've been saying, listen, you're dumb. You need to do it my way, and that's that. That doesn't work well. I never do that. Anyway, back to this, verse 17. And when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them. Therefore, they sent 50 men, and they searched for three days, but did not find him. you got to love that. I mean, he, they just nagged him like Delilah vexed the soul of Samson to death. <laughs> it's just, it's just, he finally said, fine, I'm ashamed of you. I can't take this anymore. You know there's a rolling of the eyes, a sucking of the teeth. He's beyond that. He's just fine. <laughs> Probably went to a fast food place, get something to eat. 
let them go out in the woods. Uh, this, this is unbecoming behavior of people of faith to just be nagging the leader. And, and, and we see churches do this. People just nag the Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And they'll finally say, fine. And, and they shouldn't do that. That should never be the reason to capitulate. If God says so, yes, then it's fine. But not because you're being nagged. And uh, anyway, verse 18, And when they came back to him, for they stayed in Jericho, he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? Well, of course. Told you. <laughs> you got the letter. <laughs> There's, somebody recorded the satisfaction of Elijah. He's like, I told you. I told you. Three days you were out there? That had to be hard. You want to tell me about it? I'll be back in an hour, maybe. Anyway, Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook transgression. <laughs> well, he, he kind of overlooked it a little bit, but not really. Uh, sort of, if you're a leader, you can't pick on everything. You can't find every little thing. Oh, that's right. You've got to you know, choose your battles, and some things you just, you, know, you just can't hammer people, human beings like that, nor do you want to be treated that way. So here, Elijah, who destroyed 102 soldiers in one episode, Elisha will go on to spare Syrian troops. And one, he had a ministry of stern judgment when it needed to be just that. Elisha will have a little bit more grace when he deals with, for instance, Naaman. He'll be very gracious. When he deals with Gehazi for his betrayal, he's going to be gracious still. So we have in these two men a contrast in character, some in ministry, like we do with Hosea and, and Amos. Amos was kind of no nonsense. He just came out, you know, they, they, they told Amos, go back to Judah. Don't preach here anymore. We don't like you. Uh, that's what they told him. And Hosea, of course, he comes, he says, look, you know, my broken heart is now the ministry of Yahweh. And he, he just a, a, a powerful story in the two. God uses these different walks of life, causing all things to work together for the good, which I don't like to repeat when I'm suffering. <laughs> this is what it means. And you can't force the hand of God. So you might as well try to line up with it. Verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elijah, Please notice the situation of the city is, is pleasant, and my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. <laughs> so, um, the word of his parting, the Jericho with the mantle of Elijah, evidently circulated, else we wouldn't have it here. And so they approach him with a good need. They said, Look, this is a nice town, is it not? You know, the, the, not too much humidity, no traffic, uh, no loud music. This is a nice place. Rap music was banned. And, <laughs> okay, all right. But anyway, um, let me just enjoy that a moment. All right, back to this. So, uh, they said, but there's a problem. We, the water, we, the water is foul. We can't irrigate. We can't drink this stuff. And... Uh, he's, he's going to, they're asking him if he can do anything. Verse 20, and he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it, brought it to him. Now, salt, of course, symbolizes influence from God against impurity. It slows down, it, it retaliates, it, 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 
it is a, a comeback to evil, to leaven spreading kind of a thing. The, the distinction, a new bowl, the Holy Spirit knows when he put that adjective there that we'd pick up on it. This wasn't just a bowl, it was a new bowl. And I think that such distinctions are there to prompt us to think about it, and uh, it will be uh, used if, if we get it into our heads. Uh, this um, rule with the salt, well, all the sacrifices required salt, even into the New Testament. You are the salt of the earth. Uh, every sacrifice will have its salt uh, if the salt loses its savor. So when we are, say, in the workplace or the school or the playground, wherever we find ourselves and we become sloppy in our faith, we're not salt. We're not behaving as though we're the salt of the earth and light of the world. Some Christians, they want to be the light of the world, have all this Bible knowledge, but there's no salt there's no righteousness that goes with it. They have no breastplate of righteousness to withstand the fiery darts. These things are not supposed to be fragmented. They go together and are supposed to stay together. They go unit cohesion. Uh, no living creature can produce salt on its own. Well, that is interdependence. We depend on the Lord. And so, yeah, when we come across the word salt... Uh, in in scripture it is there's there's a lesson there and it is for us to extract that lesson i watched a couple of documentaries some time ago on salt and if you can find them they're, they're really worth watching there's a lot that goes into getting um salt from mines the sea uh, dry riverbeds that flood it's just a lot that goes into it anyway verse 21 then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says Yahweh, I have healed this water from it. There shall be no more death nor barrenness. He goes to the source, not the symptom. I, I, you know, it's pointed out very, you can't miss that. Am I a source of bitterness to others? I mean, wrongfully. <laughs> I, if you're, if you are, uh, you know, you know, have, think you have the right to kill the unborn, then I'm going to be a source of bitterness to you. But if you are behaving yourself, I hope I'm not a source of bitterness. So if I am that type of person or detect that behavior, I, I need to, to do something about it and go to Christ for cleansing and, 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 and fix that. Uh, so, again, salt is a serious um, healer in the scripture. Moses, like Elijah... He come, came to the waters of Mara. They were bitter. He was to, told to throw a tree, which is probably a log or a branch. He, he threw that into the water. It was, Moses was strong, but he wasn't that strong. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, and so anyway, at Mara, God revealed himself to his people as, as Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. And this is what we're seeing here. This is what we see in Acts chapter uh, 8 with Simeon. The, the, uh, the magician, uh, when we get to Elimus, he is a real sorcerer. But uh, he was bound in iniquity and poisoned in bitterness. And he prayed, oh man, don't let this curse come on me. Uh, we can all I identify with that. Anyway, uh, I can say, uh, we've got a little time here. Got another 40 minutes to go. Uh, of course, for the Christian, we see the cross of Christ in 
any, anywhere where it, it belongs, it doesn't take much to see it. So when Moses is told to throw a tree into the bitter waters to heal them, we see the cross of Christ being thrown into the bitterness of a cursed life that makes all the difference. And uh, this salt here, it uh, interferes with the spread of corruption. It actually cancels it out at the source at this particular scripture. The people of, with, with Moses, they needed uh, righteousness over sin more than emancipation from Egypt. And in Elijah's day, the people needed resistance to the spread of Baalism and its corruptions and all other various idolatrous uh, ways out there. They needed that more than fresh water to drink. And these are the spiritual lessons. Thus says Yahweh, I've healed this water. He makes it clear Yahweh is the one. There's no uh, occultic work. There's no potion going on here. Uh, there are lessons through the symbols, but they're not, the salt's not doing it. They take that same salt and go to a different uh, bitter spring, and it will stay bitter. It, this is God's doing. And from it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. And so evidently, people have got sick and died because of this water. And uh, the barrenness, you couldn't irrigate with it. Uh, moving forward, verse 22, So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Now, verse 23, uh, Then he went up from there to Bethel, and he was going up the road. Youth, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, bald head, go up, bald head. I don't like these guys more than anybody in Scripture. <laughs> I think it's a bit over the top, don't you? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the present king, Jehoram, he is the one that um, is into this Baal worship. These youths are, are in line with that. It says, as he was going up the road, some youths. Now, the old King James says, little children. That is flat out wrong translation. I, I, I think I know how they got to the wrong. Uh, the adjective little is there in the Hebrew but the children part is really lad, and that has a broad range. And so here's what the Bible use, does with that word. Solomon says that he was a youth when he was inaugurated king. He's 20 or 30 years old, more like he's in his 20s. Jeremiah was in his 20s when he said, I am but a youth. And uh, so from, from these, we... And, and others, Joseph, when he was 17, this Hebrew word is applied to him. Uh, so, so the adjective little would say, well, it's probably not in his 20s. These were probably adolescent, uh, young adults, 20s and, and you know, teens, a uh, whole group, 42 of them, actually. Two bears, that's 21 a bear. And the math works out well there. And, but there's a lot more to this story. Uh, so it's not little children. Let's strike that. The Hebrew does not support that. The King James translators goof there. Um, but this insult that they're hurling at him, uh, this is more than just rude. This is blasphemous. These, this is a gang of irreverent youth maliciously ridiculing God's appointed servant. And... Um, it's not going to go well. They were thuggish in their advocacy of the worship at Bethel. That was their hometown, and they were going to defend this worship, and they weren't going to let 
some upstart prophet come in there because he's on his way. It tells us he's on his way to Bethel. Well, word gets out, hey, I passed Elijah on the road. Elijah on the road. And uh, they come out to engage him. It, came, it says here, came from the city and mocked him and said to him, uh, now this, go up. Uh, this is the same word used in verse 1 where Elijah was going to go up to heaven. So sarcastically, they're saying to Elisha, go up like Elijah did and just get out of here and die. Just, just leave. Just go up. Go up, baldy. <laughs> that's a numbskull. That's, that's what they're doing. Uh, they were old enough to go out of the city on their own because it says they came out of the city. They were savvy enough to notice that Elijah was not only bald, but he is the prophet and that he served Elijah. So we find out these aren't little kids. And say when they said, you bald, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Again, show of hands, who agrees that this was over the top? Leviticus 13, 14, one of my favorite dear verses of the Bible. You should have this on every refrigerator. As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. Let's pray. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, had, these guys had to be dealt with. And in verse 24, so he turned around and looked at them. Dun, dun, drama music there. I know we're a little late, right? The kids will revolt. So let's get this rolling. Uh, and pronounced a curse on them in the name of Yahweh. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Well, good that they weren't the male bears because they would have killed them. Uh, I think that's part of what it. And the other part is that a, a, a mother bear robbed of her cubs. Uh, they, they, they were already having a bad day. So these guys were just, <laughs> this is part of the curse. I expect that the youth who survived, and apparently they all survived, Elisha doesn't seem to have stuck around to figure out <laughs> how, they, how they handled this. Anyway, um, they probably had these scars in their body for life and would be reminded of what happened. Luke 20, verse 17, speak, this is the Lord. He looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Well, that eye contact Christ made was intense, you can bet. Luke puts it there. And so it says here in verse 24, 24 so he turned and looked at them. I don't think they ever forgot that look. I think they uh, remembered it. Someone may have been with Elijah. He may have had a servant with him who's, who's noting these things. He pronounces the curse, which is a judgment. It is one in real time. There's no delay. Adolescence is no excuse for blasphemy. They were blaspheming. Make no mistake about that. Gives new meaning to a heart for teens uh, or heart for youth, right? These, these were bad youth, and uh, this is how they were dealt with. As I mentioned, these two bears uh, were used by God to address these youth who were the future of Israel. They, were, they would live to influence Israel, and, and God went against that. Interesting, when Elisha was called, of the three men named with him, he is the one that God said would kill, but doesn't attach the word sword to it. 
First Kings 19, this is when Elijah was on the mountain and, and he says, now go anoint Hazael, go anoint Jehu. It shall be whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will kill. That's pretty intense. Man, the two witnesses during the tribulation will have such power. Revelation 11.5 And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Don't forget when Peter talks about the judgment of God, he says that Sodom and Gomorrah did not escape. Well, uh, we could go on. Verse 25. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel and from there he returns to return to Samaria. And so to the place of great victory over Baal worship, he heads back up and uh, he is going to be a great inspiration to the righteous. Some exciting stories to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and may you get us home safely in Jesus name. Amen.